Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello, and welcome to the season finale of The Lift. I'm Daniel Foytek. I'm one of the creators and producers of The Lift. And I just want to take a moment here to say thank you. Since it's the last episode of the season, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the show. Those who have taken the time to go over to iTunes to rate and review the show, and especially our supporters on Patreon. It's amazing to see how much the show has grown since we put the first episode out. We have big plans for season two, and with your support, we're going to make it happen. A big thank you to all the writers, the artists, the composers, everyone involved has donated their time and their efforts. Please support them by buying their work. If you're a fan of The Lift, you're going to like the other stuff they've created. You can find links to all their work over at victoriaslift.com. Artwork for today's show was created by... Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, please visit horrormade.com and follow her on Twitter at horrormade. This episode was scored by Nika Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. Today's narrator was Amber Collins, better known to you as the voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com S1E20. Now, that's it. After this, it's just story. Let's go for a ride. Hi, this is Cynthia Lohman, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift. Plummet. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at CynthiaLohman.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at VictoriasLift.com. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. My story starts when I was born in 1892. <laughs> I fooled you! I've been around long enough to know that starting at the beginning is very dull, as were most of the nine years leading up to where the real story begins. Our governess had a day off, so my six-year-old brother, Merritt, and I were left in the care of Miss Cora, the maid. Father was at work and mother was on another holiday. Which by this point I knew meant she was at the sanatorium. Days like those found me on a piano bench, practicing. 
alone. Unless you count Merritt, who skipped about the room or played with toys while I was forced to slave at the keys. I'm no good at piano, and besides, it was silly to force it upon me when I had a perfectly good music box. But Mother liked it, and her illness made me want to please her during the increasingly short time she was home. That was until I couldn't get this one certain stupid note right any time I practiced. It made me no longer care about what Mother liked. I plucked the key over and over. Tink, 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 tink. Miss Cora's steps thudded in time down the hall. The door swung open so hard, my fringe tickled my forehead from the gust. I stopped pressing the key and opened my eyes as much as I could, pushing my lips out. My best pout face. Even though it hadn't worked on Miss Cora any other time, and it was even less likely when she was in such a foul temper, I'm nothing if not an optimist. I haven't the time for this, Victoria, Miss Cora said. You are to do your lesson until the top of the hour. Your lesson. She drew out the words. Not hammering at one note for thirty minutes. I can't even get the note right, I said, adding a great deal of whininess and sticking out my bottom lip as far as I could. That's because you aren't trying. Miss Cora swished around the piano and swiped my music box from the bench where I kept it close beside me. My eyes widened on their own that time, as the surprise of her meaningness caught my breath. Now you'll have incentive, she chirped, tucking the music box under her arm like a parcel and grinning as if she had a belly full of canaries. You'll get it back with tea. Her heels clicked across the wood floor from the carpet to the door, and she looked over her shoulder. If you practice your lesson. I'm telling father! The words escaped before I could think. Father hated tattling. And Miss Cora? She perceived any threat to father's opinion of her as serious business. Do you think he'll believe you? The little girl who always tells stories? She took the music box from under her arm and held it up, perched on her five fingers. You tell the mister and you'll never see this again. She popped it on the lid before tucking it back under her arm. I'll throw it down the well, and it will smash into hundreds of pieces and sink into the water. He will think you've lost it or broken it yourself. How's that for a story? I didn't want to believe her, but having been punished by her countless times, often because of merit, I did. She smirked before leaving the room, the door snicking closed behind her. I gaped at the spot where I last saw my dear toy. I don't hear you, she sang, and the music box gave a tortured twang. I imagined it breaking into bits as it crashed against the stone well walls and dropped into the pit. So I started pushing keys, a piece I knew better than the other, just to be plain. Merritt battered at my shoes from his hiding place under the baby grant, causing me to flub even the simple tune. I swung my leg forward, hoping to kick him, but met nothing until it hit the piano bottom. A lot of help you are, I said, 
and started at the beginning of the song I was supposed to learn. You're going to get my music box thrown down the well if you don't let me be. He peeked around the keyboard and stuck out his tongue. It would serve you right for stealing the music box from me when we moved to America. I clinked a sour note and blew out a breath, putting hands on hips for proper emphasis. For the hundredth time, I did no such thing. Father gave it to me. Merrick didn't deserve it anyway. When pregnant with him, Mother changed in proportion to her growing belly, forgetting my name, leaving me unattended, muttering while wandering the house at night. All of Father's attention went to her. He hoped for improvement upon Merrick's birth, but Mother's return to sanity only lasted a few months. She grew even worse over the next three years. Mother's wealthy parents wanted to lock her away, but Father couldn't bear it. He was offered a new job in America that would provide a luxurious flat, as well as a nanny, a maid, and a cook to help Mother. We made the move. On arrival to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and after the carriage ride full of tantrums, Merritt was quiet, draped over Father's shoulder, a spot of drool darkening his coat. Though wary from the journey, I was still excited for my first lift ride, but Father went straight for the stairs. But I want to ride the lift, I whined, too upset to be quiet any longer. Shush! Mother scowled in a whisper. Don't you dare wake Merritt. Father made a shh, like wind through willow leaves and whispered. Come, come, ladies. He put his free hand to the hollow of Mother's back and ushered her forward and whispered to me. We will ride the lift as much as you like tomorrow. I huffed, but he followed Mother. With no choice, I dragged my feet on the new carpet to the stairs. Mother and Father soon disappeared ahead as I made a show for no one of dragging my toe up the front of each stair and plopping my foot on top, not caring if I scuffed my shoes, which I surely did. No one was in the long hallway when I reached our floor, more tired than ever. I trod down the plush carpet runner, dragging my hand along the wallpaper, full of pretty rose bouquets until I heard Mother's exhausted words from a room on the left. What is this? I passed the room with the door open a crack, but could see nothing, so I leaned against the wall and listened. It was here when I came in, Father said. There's no card. Then I heard the tinkling of music that swept my heart away and my fatigue with it. I wanted to see what made such sweet sounds. It's lovely, Father said. I'll have to check with the staff to see who sent it. We must properly thank them. Mother only sighed with a huff. (sighs) I thought I might feel her breath from the hall. Father's voice grew louder as he spoke just over a whisper. Get some rest, dear. He came out and pulled the door behind him. Looking away from me and towards the lift, I leaned into the wall, not wanting his attention for once. Mesmerised by the music, I hoped to enter the room to see what made it. For once, fortune shone upon me, and he left without looking my way. Six-year-olds lack step, 
The knob rattled as I gripped the cool crystal and turned. The latch clicked like the smith hammering horseshoes. The hinge creaked, even though it hadn't done so upon closing. I looked down the hall, but father had gone. I stuck only my head into the room, as if it would get me into less trouble should my intrusion anger mother. But she slept in the rocking chair. Her chin rested on her chest. Blonde hair like my own dangling in unkempt wisps that glowed golden in the lamplight from the little table beside her. There, too, the delicate, twinkling chimes sounded from the wooden box. I slipped through the opening, not daring to move the door again. Though extra soft carpet concealed my steps, I crept across the room. To my left was a small bed, topped with a blue and white quilt covering a three-year-old-sized bump. How could this be his room? Why would anyone give such a gift to an awful little boy? The soft glow of the lamp made the wood gleam, highlighting intricate designs on its surface. I couldn't help but touch it. The wood was smooth under my fingers, no indication of the lovely intertwined scrolls decorating it. Warmth emanated from the box, and I opened the lid to see what could make it feel so. Inside, the workings were visible, louder now that the lid was open, some gears spinning fast, others more slowly. The spiny cylinder and long thin teeth of a metal cone making the song that spoke to my insides. Everything about it was beautiful. The lamplight glittered off the tiny metal angles as if stars were captured within. Then it halted. Mother and Merritt both shifted inside while I held my breath. I wanted to make the music box sing again, but didn't know how it worked and feared waking them. I picked it up and stole out of the room, to the end of the hall, away from the lift, and sat in front of it, where I wound the music box, again and again, until father's attention finally found me. He made me put it back. Over the next three years, I snatched the music box over and over again until father gave it to me for good on my ninth birthday. Merritt's interest in it seemed only as a result of my own. I took to hiding my treasures or keeping it near, which is why Miss Cora now had it. The number of times I'd gotten in trouble for his mischief were innumerable, which is why he angered me so when he said, Father always gives you what you want. I slid across the piano bench to go after him when I heard, I don't hear anything, from down the hall. Rotten witch. I muttered and centred myself on the hard wood, pounding that irksome note. May as well start at the bottom, which I felt I was. It wasn't likely to get better either, as Merritt rocked so far back and forth on his wooden horse, he should have tumbled off. The horse wasn't supposed to be in the music room, but burst so focused on not getting my favourite toy thrown down a deep hole. I squinted at the music sheet. But that did not take Merritt out of view. He drew closer, the rocking horse scooting on the rug as he leaned forward into the handles. The wooden head clunked on the bench. But I ignored that too, 
even though I hit an extra key when it happened. I wasn't going to let him ruin everything. He poked my arm. Victoria! I didn't look and kept trying to play. He poked me twice more. Victoria! He said with more emphasis. I knew the next part of the piece enough to scowl at him and said, If I don't keep practicing, we'll both get into trouble and the music box will be lost. Miss Cora's full of vinegar today. And so was my playing. The piece was too hard for my small hands. Mother was never happy with me anyway. Why did I care about learning this stupid song for her? I was defiling it. Then notes came from the high end of the piano. A little tune that had the note and some others. It disturbed me. So it came as no surprise Merritt was responsible. She doesn't care what you play, he said. So long as it isn't pounding or dreadful. I hated when he was right. I took over the keys with a tune I knew well enough I could play it with my eyes closed. And I did. Once again, Merritt was determined to disturb me. I can get your music box for you. That was worth opening my eyes. My fingers stopped before the tragedy of the broken music box returned to my mind and made them move. Why would you do that? I asked. Do you mean to steal it again? Nuh-uh, he said, shaking his head more than necessary, brown hair swishing back and forth across his brow. I'm bored, and I want you to play with me. I can't play with you and do this, I said, pushing the notes hard for emphasis. I'll get the music box and go up the ladder. Then you can meet me there. You come play with me, and I give you the music box. What about Miss Cora? She never goes up there. She's too chicken. He tucked his hands under his arms and flapped makeshift wings. I don't want to go up there either. It's dark and hot and it's full of spiders. I might get grease or dirt or both on my favourite dress. Why are you always trying to make me go up there? He mocked me. His mouth turned at the corners and his nose wrinkled. I tried to convince him to come up with another plan. We would be stuck up there all day. Merritt sighed and stroked the yarn mane of his rocking horse. You can sit here and play stupid piano then. He kicked the wooden horse over and one of its glass eyes shot across the room. I'm going to get your music box. If you want it, come play with me. He thudded across the room, out of view on the other side of the piano. Then I heard nothing, until the horse's glass eye cracked off the lid of the piano and landed on the strings below, causing a dreadful racket. I kept playing. Miss Cora didn't make a peep. Neither did Merritt. I started my real lesson again, but it was no easier. I was too preoccupied to care. Of course, Merritt's kindness would come at a price. Having to play with him was bad enough, but having to go up the ladder into the creepy service floor was terrible. I hated it. Merritt loved it, watching the gears and the pulleys of the lift, rooting through boxes of junk. Just sitting in the dark, getting dirty, seemed to be fun to him. He called it the brain of the building, because it was the highest floor, and the workings for the lift were there, as well as boxes of storage. 
like memories. Not even the lift could take you to it. Calling it the brain just made it yuckier to me. No, I would wait until father came home. He would fetch my music box like he had the other times, and Merritt would get into good trouble without being able to blame me. Then I missed that note again, and I couldn't help myself. I banged my fist on the keyboard. My hands ached. It wasn't fair to practice so long without any instruction at all. But it didn't matter to our awful maid who wanted me and Merritt out of her hair. She only wanted father. I heard her when I went to fetch tea one day. She told the cook that she would make a much better wife than that nutty missus, and that she ran the house anyway. She yelled down the hall yet again. She would never win father over if he heard that. But she was always careful to use her sweetest voice when he was there. I made more mistakes in the music without caring to fix them. My tummy groaned, reflecting hunger and misery. Maybe Merritt's offer wasn't so bad. But if I went with him, I would miss tea and biscuits. Unless he pilfered some when he snatched the music box. The boy was always hungry, like a pit that could never be filled. He would certainly nick some if I mentioned it. We could play tea party. I only told him I'd play. Not what I'd play. It would fulfill the requirements and get back my music box. But first, I had to get up there. I slid down the bench, doing a run up the keyboard to give myself the most time possible. I hopped down and rushed to the door Merritt must have escaped through. A quick peep revealed the hall was clear, and I scurried to the utility closet before Miss Cora's anger flared into more yelling. But that changed as soon as the latch clicked behind me, and I stood in the darkness of the closet. I don't hear anything, Miss Cora yelled. This is your last warning, Victoria. My eyes adjusted to the dim light under the door. The ladder was straight ahead, and I shuddered. I had nightmares of falling all the time, waking with a start, heart pounding. Those terrors made me shy away from ledges and cling to the railing when I had to take the stairs. Ladders were so much worse, but once you fell, there isn't anything below until you meet the floor. I gripped the cold iron rung and looked up into the dark square leading to the service floor. Heavy, quick thuds of an angry maid's shoes on carpet spurred me upward. No sense in risking so much if I didn't get to it. I climbed, pushed by the increasing volume of Miss Cora. When I find you, Victoria, I'm going to take you out back with me so you can watch your precious music box disappear. Her words were quieted when I reached the top of the ladder and poked my head into the dark of the maintenance floor. I cursed merit to myself not turning on the electric bulb as I scrambled over the top rung and shuffled forward with my arms out in front of me. A soft whoosh of air brushed my cheeks as Miss Cora had opened the utility closet door. Then I was relieved the light wasn't on to give us away. But all she had to do was flip the switch. I had to find a place to hide, but I couldn't remember which way the piles of boxes were in the vast space. Victoria, you better not have gone up there, she yelled, 
the straight outline of an absolute black against black materialised, and my fingers met soft cardboard. I ducked behind the boxes as Miss Cora's shoes clicked on the iron ladder. A sneeze sounded like she was right next to me, but I withheld a gasp. Victoria! She barked. Merit! Finally, it wasn't just me. If you two are up here, so help me. Then she was silent. I held my breath for fear it would make too much noise. The electric bulb blazed on, but I was safe from Miss Cora's search, as long as she didn't come all the way up. Damn corset, she said, and I caught movement across the room, behind another stack of boxes. Merritt stifling a giggle. The bulb flickered off, bringing utter darkness. The ladder rungs clanked as Miss Cora descended, and the closet door slammed. I covered my own mouth, but not from humour. I was afraid I'd be sick from fright. The looming dark made it hard to breathe. After escaping detection and scaling the ladder, I had a moment of calm. Merritt made no sound, nor did anything else. Like I had cotton in my ears. Mice didn't scratch in the boxes. Birds didn't call outdoors. I couldn't even hear the staff on the floor below. Surely they'd all be searching by now. Rather than slowly, my heart beat harder, blindness and silence bringing terror instead of comfort. The lift machinery sprung to life and I fell less alone, even as it startled me. Using the noise to cover my own, I called, Merit! but his name dropped from my lips. The air was so still and hot and thick, as if it had materialised into heavy blackness oppressing the room. A dim glow lit up the floor past my hideaway, possibly coming from the centre of the room, but it was hard to tell. The maintenance floor was as large as the building itself, with only steel beams at regular intervals the lift workings, a small closet, and the mounds of boxes stored in the corners where Merritt and I hid. But Merritt was no longer where I saw him last. Come play with me, Merritt said from the direction of the light, without hushing his voice, even though the lift had stopped. I scooted out of the boxes' shadow, more afraid than I wanted to be, hoping my cramping belly was only hunger or anger. Merritt stood past the ladder opening and the small closet, all the way over by the largest gear of the lift. The lantern burned on the floor beside him, the lift shaft behind him. I gulped to see him so close to the pit. Why was he never afraid of falling? Or the dark? Or anything? Come on, he said. You've come up here. Now let's play. And you'll get your music box back. My music box? How could I forget? Where is it? I said. What have you done with it? Miss Cora called for us outside. How we could hear her, I couldn't guess. I hurried across the gap towards Merritt. More to get into the circle of light from the lantern and out of the ominous dark than to speak. You best be quiet, I whispered. 
If we can hear her, then she will hear us. <laughs> Merritt scoffed and waved his hand. She won't hear us. I have a game planned that will be nice and quiet anyway. First, my music box. And allow you to refuse to play? No way, Victoria. That's not the bargain. Not only did I have to play his stupid game, but he saw right through me. I suppressed the stump in my foot. I put it back out. I just wanted to make sure you had it. I chose a favourite of yours. Hide and seek. I need to see the music box before I do anything. I crossed my arms over my chest. Oh, you're not playing hide and seek with me, he said. You have to find the music box. For a six-year-old bratty brother. He'd laid a cunning trap. May I at least have the lantern? I asked. I'll never find it in those shadows. I tamped down the fear the solid black shadows gave me. Just looking at them brought back sickness in my tummy. So I focused on the light I desired to enable me to hunt for my greatest desire. Hmm, Merritt said, tapping a finger on his bowed lips. One of the few things we had in common. Come on, Merritt. At least make the game fair. I said, then thought of a better argument. I can't go stumbling about. It will make too much noise. I suppose you're right. He picked the lantern up by its metal handle and held it out to me. It sputtered like an angry cat with the transfer. I pray it wouldn't go out while I looked and nearly gagged at the thought. Merritt's stupid grin disappeared as I turned to begin my hunt. The corners seemed most likely, and I took the island of dim light to the first one. While not empty, it only contained dirt and cobwebs. No music box was on the way to the second corner either. Nor in the home of a fat, shiny, icky spider that scurried off its web behind the wood of a rafter. More eyes than the spiders felt like they were upon me, and I spun, expecting to see Merritt's dumb face. But it was only a stack of boxes where he'd hidden from Miss Cora. I searched those next, but the layers of dust said nothing had disturbed them. I checked my original hiding place with doubt. Surely I would have spotted it when the light snapped on. But I was so frightened of being caught, I could have missed it. I hadn't. All that was left was the far side of the room. Of course, it was like merit to make me pass the lift shaft to find it, knowing of my fears of falling. I made my way towards another corner, keeping as far from the hole as I could. I looked behind each beam that held up the roof as I went. Should Miss Cora come back, I would have been exposed, as there were no boxes to hide behind there. More dust kicked up with each step, telling me that no one had been this way. The dirt dimmed the reflection of my lantern light in my shoes. I would be a right mess when this was over. The flame of anger swelled in my heart at the thought of my dirty stockings and dress. The flame of the lantern spit and flickered and threatened to wink out. You've hidden it somewhere it can't be seen, I said. You're cheating. A snort sounded over my left shoulder. Merritt must have been following me. You're just not looking hard enough. It's in plain view. 
but you're too scared to see it. What did he mean about being too scared to see? I confronted several spiders and walked through the loads of dirt and was in the dark with a dying lantern, all while fighting what were the beginnings of a nasty stomach melody. I conquered my ladder fear too, at least going up. I decided to keep looking when a sticky filament wrapped around my face. I threw my hands up to get it off. The lantern crashed to the floor with a clank, and the flame disappeared. The dark swallowed me. I wrestled the web off and knelt, feeling for the lantern. My gasps seemed to lack oxygen. My breath was useless. I thought of Merritt's goldfish as he tortured it by removing it from its bowl and watched it flop and work useless lips and gills in his hands. Now he's killing me. At least I needn't fear Miss Cora hearing me drop the lantern. I would be dead. Now you've done it, he said as if he had nothing to do with my state. My voice box wouldn't work. Even as I grasped the lantern handle and tried to ask Merritt to light it again, I looked from where his words had come. And there it was. I I didn't know how, but my music box had a faint glow. Maybe it was the absolute darkness that made it visible. No matter, I found it. And the life-sustaining breath filled my lungs. I found it, I said. If Merritt replied, I couldn't hear him as the lift gears rotated. With that, the glowing box vibrated. I ran towards it until I understood why it was jittering when the lift started. It perched in the centre of the horizontal beam crossing over the void. That isn't fair, Merritt, I said. Go get it before it falls. My heart knocked on my ribs as I watched the box vibrate ever so slowly to the edge. Merritt answered with a raspberry to my right and startled me. But I didn't jump, not knowing how close the gaping hole was. The gears stopped turning. My music box was safe for the moment, until someone had to travel up or down again. But Miss Cora was still looking for us and might use the lift to search every floor. I played your game, now give me my music box like you promised, I said. I promised nothing. Merritt said from a different place than the previous taunting. Yet, at the same time, his voice had a resonance and depth that came from the very blackness of the room. If you want it, you have to get it. At least then you'll have earned it instead of getting Father to take it from me for you. It was never his to give. My heart felt like it moved between my ears, thudding against my eardrums. That had to be why he sounded so strange. The music box went out of focus, becoming a blob of golden green in my vision as my eyes filled. The lift came to life again. Merritt was closer now. His voice was more normal as he said, You better get it before it falls. My sleeve moved as he came closer and whispered, Or you'll lose the music box just like I did. I blinked the tears away, only looking at my music box. The only thing that felt right. Safe. Even its phosphorescence was somehow comforting. I'll walk with you, Merritt said, taking my hand and trying to pull me forward. I yanked my hand from his grasp. I don't need you. 
even though the light was weak, I saw a glint on Merritt's cheek. He wiped it with the back of his hand, and my overall heart clenched. He wanted to help. Why couldn't I be nice to him, especially after a rare offer of help? But there was nothing for it. I thought he smiled, which made me hurt, but not in my chest. A squeezing, vicious stab in my belly. Again, the gears moved. I couldn't worry about my pain. I had to save my music box. I slid one foot towards the trembling box, close enough to see it was too far to reach without getting on the beam and going over the lift shaft. Could I wait until someone took the lift to the ninth story, so a fall would only hurt instead of killing me? Merritt pressed behind me, an intimidating closeness when I was so near the edge. What's wrong? Are you too scared? He asked. I did it when the lift was so far down, I couldn't even see it with the electric bulb lit. Because you're a stupid little boy who hasn't any sense. There's a reason Father didn't want us up here. I guess you'll have to get him to get it for you then. If it's still there to get. Little baby can't even do what I can do. He said in a mocking whine. I shouldn't have gotten cross. Pride would have been easier to swallow than the fear that made my body quake. Tell you what, I'll go get it. Oh yes, please. I couldn't wait for him to finish. For anything you ask. If I get to keep it. The lift gears rumbled again and the music box tilted. The corner creeped over the ledge and I knew I'd rather see it break into a million pieces than to give it up. That's no bargain at all. But it is, he said. You just don't like it. Of course I don't. Have you save it to only lose it anyway? You're a terrible brother. I hate you. Full of anger that propelled me past my terror, I slipped across the huge wheel at the end of the beam where the music box sat. A cable that wrapped around the gear caught a curl as I pressed under it and ripped the lock out as the lift descended. I watched the blur of it disappear as my eyes turned to spigots from the pain. A note plinked from the music box, the same note I always got wrong. It would be right if it was the last thing I heard. The lift stopped. I put a foot on the thick metal beam that crossed over the pit. I slid the front foot along the metal and followed with the back foot, unsure whether to stand straight or crouch taking a hunched posture that was neither. My Mary Janes with their smooth soles made it easy to shuffle, but it was also making my footing precarious. And then the lift started again, down, away from me. The beam vibrated through the soles of my shoes, but I held steady. I was well over the hole, just a few more inches to my music box. One more step. The noise of the gear behind me muffled as something came between us. Merritt. What are you doing? I said. Leave me be. I gave you a chance, dear sister. But that precious music box, which was never really yours, means more to you than I do. This isn't the time. The prize skittled forward, halfway off the beam. I couldn't wait. I took a step out and reached. As I leaned, my head whirled. Merritt's hand was on my back, and a fabric of my dress squeezed around me as he took a handful. 
He was going to save me after all our squabbling. After I was so mean. Thank you, I said. I'm sorry. I reached out to get the music box. Not sorry enough, he said, and my dress loosened. No! I gasped, but it was too late. My balance was off, my arms flailed, and I knocked the music box off the beam. But it dangled from a string. Safe. It was never in danger. But I was, as my balance was too far off to recover. I prayed beyond all help that a slender string would hold me too. But even a small girl can't be held by a mere string. It snapped with a twang, and the very note I despised so much. And the box and I tumbled into the darkness. No! Merritt yelled, and I saw him reach out. I wanted to believe he reached for me. Fear gripped me no longer. As time stretched with my fall, Merritt shrinking, flaws whooshing by. Seven. Six. Five. I plunged into grief, as if the very hole into which I fell was full of it. I cradled the music box. The last comfort I would know as a normal girl.